Today's sermon is called The Cries of the Damned, and it's a very uh, surprising and, um, I guess, hard-hitting title, um, and it's something that's going to be serious today, I think, in today's sermon, more heavier than others. Um, I know this is maybe surprising to hear a word like this on a sermon title, but that's exactly where our text takes us today. And so I want us to uh, take this seriously. Um, I have a friend who I'm not, I don't believe is in heaven. Uh, to me, he wasn't really a wicked person. He kind of minded his own business. He and I, we would skate together growing up. Um, he taught me how to edit videos, uh, how to use Premiere Pro, which is a high-end editing program. Um, he and I had inside jokes that we would make fun of one another, uh, code words that only we knew. Uh, maybe you guys have friendships like that. Um, he would make fun of me and call me uh, Kevy and the Betty and the Big Fat Teddy. I don't know why that was funny, um, but it made him laugh. And then I laughed at him because I always typed faster than him during computer class. So he was a fun person to be around. Um, he didn't really hurt anybody in that way. But uh, several years ago, he collapsed while jogging in a park and he couldn't be revived. And I was at his funeral and, you know, saw his body. Um, and I thought to myself, is he saved? I know he went to church at times. He uh, grew up in a Christian school with me. He heard the gospel. But if I take the book of James seriously, which says faith without works is dead, I'm not sure if I saw works in his life. I don't have the confidence to say for sure that I'll see him again. And I'm not going to pretend that I know his life. I'm not God. Maybe he is in heaven. I, that's, that's my hope. But based on what I know, I'm not sure. And I have to ask myself, does someone like my friend who wasn't really a troublemaker, does he deserve hell? Shouldn't hell be reserved for terrorists, uh, white supremacists, people who fly airplanes into buildings, people who murder people who rape and shoot up schools. Isn't that what hell is supposed to be for? Why could it be a place for someone like my friend? And so this is one of the reasons why hell is an extremely controversial topic for good reason. The Bible teaches that hell, it's not just for select individuals like Hitler or Osama bin Laden. It's the rightful punishment for everybody who rejects Jesus Christ in his message of salvation. It's the rightful uh, punishment for all of us apart from God. This is why hell is so difficult to talk about. And so in today's sermon, James warns us of the eternal torment awaiting those who spend their lives chasing things like success and riches while rejecting God. While they chase these and build sandcastles of success only to find that it will wash away in seconds in the last judgment when we meet our maker. James addresses Christians regarding the, the fate of non-believers uh, who would persecute Christians. And remember the audience of the letter of James, it was likely poor Jewish farmers. And so even though it applied to audience back then, it's still going to apply to us right now. Today's sermon is going to have a heavier tone because that's where the text takes us. And I hope this is something we can um, take properly and appropriately. Here's my preview uh, from our sermon today. That's uh, first we're gonna see three warnings to the wicked. 
three warnings to the wicked. And after that, there's going to be a final judgment that I want to unpack that, that at the end of our life, we will all face final judgment. And this is something that we have to be prepared for. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter five. We're going to be there today. James chapter five. James chapter five, again, if you guys are just entering this chat room or video room, and this is the sermon preview for today, three warnings to the wicked, and we're going to talk about the final judgment at the end. I'm going to read verses one to six. Here's what it says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. We're going to stop there. And so we're going to look at uh, the first, um, the overall point of beware, that we are to weep for our future miseries. And this is directed at non-Christians, to be clear. As Christians, we do not have to weep for our future miseries. We look forward to joy. But James is addressing non-Christians. And what a way to start off a sermon, that the command is to go weep and howl for the miseries coming your way. What's the deal? What is James, what's his problem? And so James says this, he is directing his assault, so to speak, his rebuke against non-Christians and reminds us of the Old Testament prophets. And these are people who had frequently warned God's people of the coming judgment, that if they did not repent, they would face the wrath of God. Isaiah 13, 6 says, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the almighty. In this portion, as I said earlier, James is addressing wealthy non-Christian landowners. These landowners were ones who were oppressing the Christian community. Now, as I said last week, it's not a sin to be rich and to be wealthy, What is a sin is the greed or how someone uh, uh, mistreats those below them. Wealth has a way of puffing somebody up and to be greedy. And so it is the love of money and the greed and the mistreatment of others that James is condemning here. And so if we understand the destiny of the wicked, uh, the greedy, the unrighteous, we may not envy their final destination. And so knowing how God deals with the evildoers, that can help us endure in our faith as we are trying to live out the Christian walk. And so today's sermons, we're going to have three warnings to the wicked. Here's the first warning. Is this, your treasure 
will rot and rust in this life. Let's look at verse two. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Pretty straightforward. James condemns the wealthy landowner who loves his riches and clothing. And before you check out and say, you know what? I don't have a lot of money in my bank account. I only have like 20 bucks from Chinese New Year. This probably doesn't apply to me. Let me remind you that not all treasure is gold and silver. No one here is a wealthy landowner with hired servants, but everybody here seeks a certain treasure. Some of you may not be rich landowners greedy for money, but is a student who treasures success over God any different? Isn't that what you're trying to accomplish to go to a college, to have a good job and make a lot of money? How is that any different from a landowner who pursues his riches at the expense of God? Aren't you simply pursuing a different kind of treasure? Not all treasure is gold and silver. You may have a different treasure, but you may meet the same outcome. One day your treasure, whatever it is, it will rot, rust, erode, and break down. A hundred years from now, your grade in your math test will bear no significance. Your GPA will be a lost memory. Your SAT score will bear no significance. Your college resume will be a distant memory. Things that we value so much in today's life, 100 years from now, will bear no significance in the life to come. 100 years from now, your championship trophies will rust. People will forget who is on the championship team, the CIF team. They'll be forgotten. 100 years from now, your reputation at school will lose significance. People will forget how popular you were, how many likes you had on photos, how many views you had on your videos, how many followers of subscribers you had, how good you were at a certain video game. That will be forgotten in 100 years. In 100 years, your clothes will rip, tear, and get dirty. In addition to that, in one year, it'll probably go out of style. So our possessions will rot and rust and break down. I remember in the eighth grade, I saw my gym teacher. Um, I went to the K through eighth Christian school. So every time I walked past the hallway, there was a, a cabinet with all our trophies. And I went through all eight years seeing these trophies. And in my eighth grade year, I saw my gym teacher uh, carry these trophies outside uh, the hallway. I'm like, hey, Mr. Willard, what are you doing with those trophies? It's like, oh, well, they're, they're kind of old. We're just going to throw them away. I'm like, wait, what? That was someone's championship season. Like, why would you do that? Like, we're not even that good anymore in sports. Like, it's just going to be an empty cabinet. And he said, well, you know, they're kind of old. They're like from the 80s, 90s. And so we got to make room for new ones if we make, uh, earn any, any uh, new championships. And that told me something. Maybe in the 1980s, that championship meant so much to that team. But 20 years later, 10 years later, it's just a lost cause. It's a lost memory. The things that we strive for in this life, they have an expiration date. One day it will rust and vanish through our fingers. And so what is your treasure? Here's a couple questions to ask to see what your treasure could be. Um, here's a couple, couple questions. You could ask, what do you spend most of your time doing? I'm gonna say most, not more. What do you spend most of your time doing? Time, where we spend our time can indicate what we value. What do you daydream the most about? The seconds before you fall asleep, 
as your mind is getting ready to shut down, what do you think about? What do you daydream about? How about what makes you excited when you wake up in the morning? What do you look forward to in the day? And lastly, what do you worry most about? Whether it be great, your upcoming math quiz, all these things, how you answer all these questions, it could hint at your treasure. Do you spend most of your time studying for school because that's all you can ever see? That's all, it's tunnel vision. That's all that matters in your life. Or are you obsessed about your future college? It's college app season right now. Or maybe it's daydreaming about a boyfriend or girlfriend in the future. And we want that right now. Or maybe it's about the video game we wanna play as soon as small groups is over. Are we constantly um, attracted to these things? What does that reveal about the things that we value? If you build your life on any earthly treasure, one day it will rot, rust, and expire. All your treasures on this earth you can't take with you after you die. This is the first warning. The second warning is not only do your treasures expire and break down in this lifetime, but they also act as evidence against you in the life to come. That's our second warning. That warning number two, your treasures, they also affect the afterlife, heaven or hell, that it'll testify against you in the life to come based on how you lived your life. Let's look at the next verse, which is verse three. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. So get this, not only will your idols and your treasures on earth, not only will it break down in earth, but it'll also condemn you in the life to come. I don't know if we think about that this that often. All right, I want you to imagine right now a court case, um, a courtroom case, and a judge is hearing the case of somebody, a criminal who is accused of robbing a bank. We don't know if they did it yet, but we're gonna see. And so an eyewitness is called to the stand to testify. This eyewitness basically lays out everything. This eyewitness says, you know what? I was there, I was at Chase Bank, I was in line to withdraw some money, and I saw this man go through the window, go to the front desk and rob uh, the clerk or the teller. And not only that, but he also held seven people hostage. He stole um, a Toyota Sienna to get away. And he even took a video of it. And so at the evidence of this eyewitness news, it confirms everything. And so this criminal is eventually convicted and goes to jail. And so in the same way, your obsession and greed over earthly treasure, whether it's school, future, money, success, video games, one day, it could be used as evidence against you when you stand before God. It will testify against you. You will answer before God and have to give an account for every single thing you've done. Think about it. That your treasures will one day testify against you in the life to come. So actually what we do in this life It really matters how we spend our time, what TV shows we watch, um, what we do, this matters. So here's my application question for you guys. Will your life and possessions testify against you at the final judgment? If you were to die right now, what would your life, your actions, your deeds, what would it say about you? Would it defend 
you and show how honorable and how faithful you tried to live as a Christian? Or would it condemn you and testify that you really didn't value God? A lot of people say they don't have time for God. Let's be honest, that's an excuse. Everybody has time. Better to say you don't prioritize God. Let's just be honest. We all have the same amount of time in the day. What will your life reveal about you when you die? I know you guys think you're young. I mean, I think I'm sort of young, but one day, as we learned last week, life is short. Life could end any day. How will your life testify against you or defend you? And I'm gonna address this a little bit more at the end of the sermon, um, but I'm gonna move on for now. And there's a final third warning that we're gonna to touch upon. And it's this, warning number three, the Lord will avenge the cries of his people. Okay, there are wicked people on this earth. There are people that do a lot of wrong things. And sometimes they mistreat people and God will avenge the cries of his people. All right, look to, let's look at this next verse. Verse four and six. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So James, as I said earlier, he is condemning the greed and oppression of wealthy landowners. Back then, a wealthy landowner, they would hire farmers to work for them. And so some of these farmers may have been part of the early church that James was writing to. So if you were a farmer and if you were poor, it's very important that you get paid on time. It's very important because it affects your family, how you provide rent, how you put food on the table. If these farmers didn't get paid on time, it would threaten their livelihood of their family. And so James is calling out these, um, these landowners who withhold wages from the workers and keep them back. And this goes against in a Jewish Old Testament law in Leviticus 19, which says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And so it's saying when you oppress or when these landowners oppress uh, the farm farmers, that the cries of the farmers, the ones being oppressed, their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And that, that title, that term Lord of hosts, it pictures God as a powerful warrior, as a warrior leading a great army who's leading the charge and bringing judgment upon evil doers. So it's not just applying to the evil landowners 2000 years ago, but evil doers in 2020. God will judge the wicked. They're not going to get away. God is not going to forget the cries of his children. And why, why should we care? Why should we care that God avenges the cries of his people? Well, it's because Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. And why should we be surprised? Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecuted you. John 15. Paul also says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.13. It shouldn't surprise us that Christianity is the most persecuted religious group in the world. Take hope that God will avenge the wicked who oppress and murder and persecute Christians. I was on a website today called opendoorusa.org. It's an organization uh, dedicated to uh, supporting persecuted believers around the world. And they share real life stories about Christians who are persecuted. And I found a story with, which really broke my heart this morning. Uh, it's a picture of uh, this man named uh, Kandi, Kandi Mudu. This is a picture of him. Um, he's a man from an Indian village. He's got a wife and two kids. A couple of years ago, he, he became a Christian. And because of that, the village harassed him. His own brothers and sisters disowned him. In fact, they went so far that a group from this village ganged raped his mother-in-law to demonstrate their hatred for Christianity. It took a wrong turn in 2018 when, as uh, Condi was finishing dinner uh, with his family, they were gathering for family prayer when they heard knocking at their door. It was a mob of people from the village, six to eight men. They had sharp weapons and pistols and they demanded that Condi come outside. And it was reported that Condi told his wife that he knew his life was in danger and if he was killed, that to never give up faith in Jesus. And so wife and kids run out the back door. The men break into the house, drag out Condi, and begin brutally attacking him. They break his ribs, break his pelvis, and continue beating him until he died. In the meantime, his wife and two kids go from house to house in this village asking for help, but no one would help, not even Condi's own brothers. The next day, Condi's body was found in the jungle. The wife reported this to the police, but they didn't do anything because the police were bribed by the mob in the village. And at Condi's funeral, his wife's father told her to leave the Christian faith for safety reasons, out of protection for her life. And she said, I will live for Jesus and die for Jesus, but I will never turn back. This is the story of Condi, real life, real people. And they just, this is just one of many Christians persecuted around the world. There is no Disneyland ending for Condi. He died in cold blood. What hope is there for someone like Condi, if I could ask you? Where's the justice? Will the people, the six to eight men who murdered Condi, get what they deserve? Will the five to six people who gang raped his mother-in-law, will they get what they deserve? That's a real question in the face of suffering. But the cries of Condi and his family has reached the Lord of hosts. God promises that he will avenge these evil doers in the final judgment. Maybe these villagers get away in this lifetime. Maybe they get away scot-free they never serve any sentence. Fine. But when they die and face God in judgments, there's a world of torment waiting for them. This is the justice of God at the final judgments. Let's bring it back to your context. No one in this room suffers to the same degree of Kandi. But that doesn't mean you and I don't still suffer for our faith. I know there are some of you right now 
that you have left friend groups. You have left your old friends because they wanted nothing to do with God. And now these old friends are harassing you online and making your life a living hell. I know some of you guys are facing enormous pressure to cheat and to share answers. You're invited to group chats and everyone shares answers. And if you don't share an answer, then you are known as that guy. You are excluded socially because of your strange Christian belief. I know some of you are pressured to support BLM, support agendas that fund abortion, to normalize gay marriage, and to make your opinions known on social media. And they condemn you for your silence. And if you don't, and if you claim to be a Christian, that you are seen as bigoted, narrow-minded, hateful. Will God do anything? Will God hear your cries? And so the hope of this passage is that God will avenge the cries of his people. And that's my application for this warning, that endure, because God will avenge the suffering you experience for his name. I have to make it very clear, God doesn't avenge the suffering if you stub your toe because you tripped over the stairs. That's not Christian suffering. You're just a dummy. <laughs> I do that too. But God will avenge Christian suffering when you suffer for the name of his kingdom. When people mistreat you, when people bully you and harass you because you are Christian, those people will answer to God Almighty. Take comfort. Justice will be served. Every wrong thing done against you, don't take revenge. Revenge belongs to the Lord. They will not get away. Maybe in this lifetime they will, but not in the life to come. God will have his way with these villagers who murdered Kandi. He will have his way with people who persecute you and make fun of you for your faith. This is a hope we can hold on to, that God will have perfect justice towards all humanity. But might beg another question. Well, what exactly happens? How does God judge all of humanity? How will he deal with people who live a life of greed and oppression? And that brings us to our final point, the final judgment. The final verdict is that a life of greed will damn you in the final judgment. I know that's a curse word that people say, but I'm using this in the biblical sense, that it will condemn us, that our sins will damn us for eternity if we do not surrender to Christ. Let's read verses three and five. Your, your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So what exactly happens to the wicked ones and the evildoers? In one word, hell. Hell is the punishment for evil doers. It says it right there in verse three, the corrosion of your gold and silver is evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This can only refer to the lake of fire that we see in Revelation 20. Verse five says that condemns the declaration um, that the wicked will live their life on earth, meaning that if you live a life of greed and self-indulgence and your life is all about you, your goals, 
uh, the college that you get to go to, how much money you'll make, and it's all about you, 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 and you push God out of the picture. Isn't that a life that rejects God? Sure, maybe you earn the respect of others. You earn a nice paying job, a nice house, and you're pretty comfortable in this life. But if God is not in the picture, if God is not God in your life, have you not condemned yourself? Have you not lived a life of self-indulgence, a life seeking your own pleasures? And if I could add something, I believe the idol, the golden calf in this culture is success. That people in this city, in this region, we idolize success in our grades, in our colleges, in our jobs to the detriment of God. We push God out of the picture because we believe for some reason that our success can secure us. Nothing could be further from the truth. James says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What that means is imagine a cow eating grass all day. Uh, it's getting bigger. It thinks it's living the life. But this cow in reality, it's not on vacation. They are, this cow is not living the life. This cow is only fattening itself to one day be slaughtered and served to other people on the dinner table. It's life of pleasure, which thinks it's going well, it will end terribly. Likewise, for you and I, if we choose to live a life of pleasure and we kick our feet back and we, and we think, man, this is how I want to live my life. I don't need God to tell me what to do. You're only fattening yourselves for the day of slaughter, metaphorically speaking. And this day of slaughter refers to final judgment. And this is a day where every person will stand before God. And let me show uh, one cross-reference from Revelation 20. I think it's important for us to see what happens in the final judgment. Here's what it says. Final judgment, Revelation 20, 11 to 15, says this. This is a vision from John. He's on an, um, an island and he receives um, a vision of what will happen in the future. Let's look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. That's Jesus who's seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. That means heaven and earth will pass away because there has to be a new heavens and a new earth. All right, uh, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who are in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So there will come a time and place at the end of all human history that every single person who's ever lived in existence will be brought before the throne of God. And there will be books there. You might be thinking, what? There will be books in, in the final judgment? I hate books. Uh, me too sometimes but these books are not novels these books will be open and they'll contain every deed of every human being committed in public and committed in secret every thought action and deed that you and i have done will be in these books and so even your obsession and pursuit of earthly treasures they will be 
in these books for all to see, for Jesus Christ to judge. And there'll be a second book that will be opened. This is the book of life. And if your name is found in this book, it means you are saved. And the grace of God has saved you. But if your name is not on that book, let's see what happens in verse 14. And 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What it's saying is that death, the final enemy, will be destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. But also, every person who has rejected Christ, there they will be thrown into the lake of fire. I need to make something terribly clear that hell is for real. Heaven is for real. God exists and Satan exists. This sermon is directed at wicked people. And here's the catch. It's not just villagers who killed Condi in cold blood. It's not just people who bomb buildings. It's you and me. It's us. We fall into that same category of wicked people. We deserve to be thrown into the lake of fire. Don't you get it? That we are born in our sin. That's our destiny. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. We should be the ones who are mourning and weeping and howling. But the lie of American culture says that there's something good, that humans are born fundamentally good. But Romans 3.10 will contradict that and say that no one is good. No one is righteous, not even one. This is the fate of all humanity, but that's why the gospel is the good news. It doesn't end here. Let's look at the good news found in Romans 5, 8 to 9. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, while we still deserve to be in the lake of fire, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be uh, saved by him from the wrath of God. Isn't this the good news? While we are wicked evildoers, destined and on our way to eternal torments, we hate God and we pass our days in evil, sin, lying to our parents, cheating on our homework, cussing out strangers online. While we are still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. We are saved from the wrath of God because Jesus stepped in and said, I will bear the wrath of God so that these sinners can walk free and be justified by my blood. This is the outrageous beauty of the gospel. It's so outrageous that the people who murdered Condi, the villagers who gang raped his mother-in-law, terrorists who bombed buildings, even people like this can be saved. And you think, really, these people? Yes, these people. And you and I are not very different. We are all wicked. This is the enormous grace of God, that even the worst of sinners can be saved. I showed this illustration last week with the dot and the rope. If you weren't here last week, in five seconds, this dot represents our time on earth. This arrow represents where we spend eternity. Everything we do on this dot will affect our eternal destination. 
if you accept Christ and surrender to him and trust in his, the blood of the cross, you know where you'll be when you die. But if you reject God and you pursue your own selfish goals and reject Christ, you reject the gospel, you know where you'll be too. Remember last week, your life is short. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Do you know where you stand before God? Do you really know? And that's the most important question any one of us can answer tonight. Here's my big idea. Um, that the laughter of the wicked will turn to eternal suffering while the groans of the righteous will turn to eternal blessing. I hope you understand that, that wicked people, maybe on this life, they get away with the evil that they do. Maybe they enjoy a nice life, a nice retirement, but when they die, all they experience is, is eternal suffering. While for the faithful, the Christians, maybe this life is horrendous. Maybe you hate your life right now because you're a Christian, but have hope. Soon your cries, your groans will one day give way to eternal blessing. This sermon centers on hell and heaven and the cries of those who suffer and the laughter of those in the presence of God. Where do you stand before God? Are you still condemned by your sin, by your greed for earthly goals? Or have you trusted in the gospel of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? Heaven and hell literally hang in the balance. Life is short. What will you do? Let me pray for us. God, we stand before you. And we know that if life ended right now and we stood before you in the, uh, the great judgment before your throne, I'm not sure everyone here would be saved. And that tears at the heart of myself, these counselors, that our hearts break for the souls here who are not saved. Souls that are still blind by their idols, chasing after their selfish goals. Souls that have been deceived by the enemy. God, I pray that you awaken sleeping souls, dead souls tonight. That we see you your salvation, your gospel as the most important thing that we could answer, that we could do and respond with. Lord, have mercy on us, a sinner. Bless us in our small groups. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.